Here's an honest question. How are you supposed to know what to do with your money? Very few of us are exposed to meaningful advice on how to manage our finances. Even fewer have the means to get professional financial guidance. Betterment is a platform that was built to do something radical, to give accessible financial advice that puts you first. If you're like most Americans, your money is probably sitting in a savings account, likely earning you next to nothing. Maybe you have an investment account that you're not really sure what to do with. Betterment can help you make sense of what to do with your money. Investing involves risk, but you don't have to know the ins and the outs of the stock market to start investing for your future. Betterment's technology will put your money to work choosing the stocks and strategies that are right for you because we know you have other things to do. Betterment's platform can even provide guidance on what financial goals make sense for you. Give your money a new home with Betterment, peace of mind included. Download the Betterment app today. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-M-E-N-T for the betterment of you. Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Atheist Experience. I'm your host, Russell Glasser, and with me today is Don Baker. Hey, good to be here. Uh, today is Sunday, August 17th, 2014. We're a live call-in public access atheist television show based in Austin, Texas, and dedicated to promoting positive atheism and the separation of church and state. Uh, we're available through live streaming video at ustream.tv. The official Atheist Experience website is www.atheist-experience.com. You can provide feedback by commenting on the official show blog at freethoughtblogs.com slash AXP, or you can email us at tv at atheist-community.org. If you enjoy this show, please check out our related podcast, The Nonprofits, which is airing on the first and third Wednesday of every month. Uh, it features Jeff D., Dennis Lubay, and me most of the time. Uh, you can find links to that at the Atheist Experience website, and the next show will be recorded live on August 20, 2014. That's this Wednesday. Um, as always, uh, the cast and crew of the Atheist Experience will be going to dinner after the show at El Arroyo at 1624 uh, West 5th Street in downtown Austin. Uh, others are welcome to join us, and we'll be arriving around 6 p.m. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah, as of like a month ago, we're also uh, rebroadcasting older episodes on Atheist TV, the new American Atheist Roku channel. And if you go to the blog right now... Um, you can see a response that I did to a uh, Salon.com writer who reviewed a few hours of Atheist TV, including uh, a, quite a lot of the Atheist experience, um, and thought we were horrifying. <laughs> uh, of course, by the time this makes it to Atheist TV, it will probably uh, this show will probably be a few months old. Uh, but anyway, uh, hi, people in the future. 
if you're watching uh, now in August, uh, then you still have plenty of time to go to the ACA website and check out the uh, the upcoming Bat Cruise, which this year is going to be on September 27th. Uh, now, this is an annual event that uh, the a- that the ACA holds. Um, where uh, people come come around to uh, be be uh, you know a lot of people show up to uh, visit the show and the day before that uh, on on Saturday there there's going to be first a lecture by Dr. Richard Carrier and also uh, Chris Johnson who uh, who shot and produced the uh, a better life book which is a coffee table book about atheists. Uh, and after that, we're all going to be clambering onto a boat and uh, say, floating around at sundown to check out some uh, urban bats flying out from under the bridge. Uh, great time every year. Um, that's, so. a, that's a good reason to make a pilgrimage to Austin. Yeah. An atheist pilgrimage. Right. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff. All right. Well, today uh, today is the 25th failure show that I've done. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's the silver anniversary of fail, I guess. It's yes. silver, right? So uh, I uh, want to talk today about failing the environment. And, um, you know, we, we have uh, this kind of uh, environmental crisis, if you will. The, the climate change is going on. Our carbon, carbon dioxide is increasing and all these things. And uh, we're kind of stuck in a little bit of a rut here as far as how do we deal with it. And some of my uh, ideas today come from an article written by David Swanson called Why We Allow the Destruction of Our Planet in the, uh, the August uh, 2013 uh, The Humanist, which is published by the American Humanist Association and it's available online. Um, anyway, so we have a lot of impediments for dealing with the, the environment. And some of the general impediments are inertia. You know, we're used to doing certain things or, or there are vested interests in, in say, the oil, oil industry, these sorts of things. And there's, there's a lot of propaganda going on. But compared to non-evangelicals, American evangelicals were less likely to believe that climate change was happening and less likely to believe that human activity was the cause, and less likely to express worry or concern. And I want to unpack this today and talk a, a little bit about why that is. And I think that there are uh, there are at least five reasons. One is the idea of dominionism. Uh, another idea is that God is in charge or denialism. Uh, prayer is a failure, and following the wrong authority is, is another problem, and end times belief is, is another one. So I want to talk about each of these. There's a there's a quote in the Bible in Genesis one twenty eight and God blessed them and God said to them unto them be fruitful and multiply fill the earth and subdue it have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth and and a lot of uh, Christians uh, take this as as uh, yeah we get a free pass to go go destroy things or whatever and you know we get quotes like uh, this from Rick Santorum we were put on this earth as creatures of God to have dominion over the earth for us to benefit, not for the earth's benefit. So th- this is the sort of attitude that comes out of dominionism. And dominium and dominionism is largely an American theocratic movement con- unconcerned with harm to the environment. And there's also a sort of dovetail movement uh, um, in Christianity to make as many children as you want, be fruitful and multiply. And this has got an obvious negative impact on the environment. Overpopulation is one of the main 
the main sources of, of our problems here. On the, on the issue of God is in charge and denialism, uh, we have people like uh, Congressman John Shimkus of uh, Illinois, who has served on a congressional subcommittee uh, on the environment and the economy, and he wants more power in this area. And uh, he basically has asserted that the planet is in fine shape. There's nothing wrong because God promised Noah just as much. He promised Noah that, that there would never be a problem. Senator James Inhofe is definitely a, a big, uh, he's, a, he's a senator from Oklahoma. He says that uh, only God could change the climate, and to say otherwise is arrogant. And he wrote the book, The Greatest Hoax, How the Global Warming Conspiracy Threatens Your Future. So he's definitely a double down on this. And as a disclaimer to him, he's received um, $1.3 million in campaign contributions from the oil and gas industry. So we, we wonder where his where his loyalties lie. Rush Limbaugh, go ahead. Did oh, you have something? I, I was going to say the first time I ran into the idea of um, of Chris, specifically Christian opposition to global warming. I mean, I was familiar with with uh, the denial movement in general, but mm-hmm. when I saw Jesus Camp, um, oh, they were plugging it there, weren't they? Uh, there's a scene early before the Jesus Camp starts where uh, they're they're filming this kid go getting homeschooled by his mom, and uh, she just out of the blue, like they they they're doing this little Q and A out of this book. Uh, and she is is like, well, global warming is a big is a big thing, and what's wrong with this reasoning? And and the kid Levi he parrots this answer like, well, the temperature has only risen zero point six or zero point six degrees, which like obviously he's memorized from this same book. And I thought that was weird at the time because I was familiar with evolution denial uh, as part of evangelical Yeah, that's a traditions. big thing, a big thing, right, yeah. the evolution thing. But the global warming thing is in there too. And and hopefully by the end here we'll, we'll unpack that a little bit and, and explain why. I mean, there still is a, a bit of a puzzle of, of why, well... Anyway, uh, let me let me go back uh, here to a couple more quotes. Uh, Rush Limbaugh, our, our favorite guy, uh, he says, See, in my humble opinion, folks, if you believe in God, then intellectually you cannot believe in man-made global warming. You must either be agnostic or atheist or, or believe that man controls something that he can't create. So this is, this is definitely denialism. He also says, My views on the environment are rooted in my belief in creation. I refuse to believe that people who are themselves the result of creation, can destroy the most magnificent creation of the entire universe. Um, James Watt, Secretary of the Interior under Reagan, was considered one of the most environmentally harmful U.S. politicians of all time, and he was he was definitely steeped in this movement. And uh, he said, uh, among other things, I do not know how many future generations we can count on before the Lord returns. So we're hinting at some of the apocalyptic uh, ideas. Prayer, what about prayer? Well, well, when Christians pray, well, is that going to help? No, no. We all know that prayer is a failure, and I, I unpack that on episode 744, uh, doing it as a form of wishful thinking, and even if you believe, God is going to do what he's going to do, right, anyway, and, and for his own mysterious reasons. So, so uh, I have this quote from the uh, Ambrose Bierce, uh, The Devil's Dictionary, the definition of pray is a verb to ask that the laws of the universe be annulled in behalf of a single partition, 
petitioner confessedly unworthy. I love it. Love it. Um, so, and also when you pray, it's kind of worse than doing nothing because it lets you believe you've done something. So that's, that's a failure. Another, another issue is, um, a lot of folks follow authorities, right? So, uh, who, whose authority are you going to follow? Are you going to f- uh, follow the authority of the people who are experts in this field, or are you going to follow the authority of somebody else? Well, Christian leaders don't want people to think of, think for themselves. They just want to f- them to follow the approved authority. But who is the authority? Well, is, according to them, it's not scientists who are the ones qualified to weigh the evidence. That would lead to some sort of slippery slope towards people wanting evidence-based policy and decision-making. We can't have that. Um, and that might also lead to embracing evolution, which, you know, if you're going to believe the scientists about the environment, you better, you're going to have to believe them about the evolution too. And we can't have that. Um, so we get, uh, folks like, uh, Truth in Action Ministries host John Rabe saying, one of the ways we can commit idolatry is by substituting ourselves as, as the cr- creature for creator? Oh. Creature for 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 God, and that's what many of these scientists and bureaucrats are trying to do. I think Creator for God. That might be it. So, are you supposed to follow religious leaders? Well, only specific ones. Consider that uh, Richard Sezik um, has been a, con- a Christian environmental crusader uh, and advocates this idea called creation care, which uh, I still consider a misguided idea, but at least it's better than than trying to go out and actively destroy the environment. Um, and But his efforts to, 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 to do this has led them to, to disown him, essentially, and he's no longer uh, running the National Association of Evangelicals, and they have distanced themselves from this whole idea. So not, not religious leaders are you supposed to follow, not all of them. But you are supposed to follow anyone supporting climate change denialism, such as the oil industry, Fox News, the Koch brothers... And uh, there's there's really a misinformation campaign going on, much like the smoking doesn't cause cancer a misinformation campaign. Another problem is end times belief. Forty uh, percent of Americans believe the world will end with a battle between Jesus and the Antichrist. Twenty-two uh, percent think it will happen within their lifetime. So any natural disaster is confirmation of these beliefs. A, a catastrophe is good somehow. Jesus is coming. Um, so why would anyone with these beliefs lift a finger to save the environment? Uh, I talked about the failure of the second coming in episode 748, if anybody wants to go look that, look that up. So here's a quote from John Hagee, who's an end times whack job minister in San Antonio, based in San Antonio. He says, the Bible says that whenever we approach the coming of the, the Lord Jesus Christ, that uh, there would be strange weather patterns. Jesus said this in Matthew in the 21st, 25th chapter. So we have a decision to make. Do we, do we believe what an environmentalist group says and choose to live in a world where we're attempting to make everything as clean and clean in the air as possible? Or do we believe what the Bible says, that these things are going to happen, and rather than try to clean up all this air and solve all these problems of the world by eliminating factories, we should start to tell people about Jesus Christ who is to return. So, so clearly Christianity is working against solving climate change problems. Denialism and wishful thinking are the order of the day. Ultimately, they are rooting for catastrophes because it's, it, 
you know, plays up in their snuff porn industry, which is betting on the end of the world, and and uh, they they wanna they wanna keep that whole paranoia going. So to them, accepting climate change is just an admission that their god is useless, which of course atheists know he is. And yes, this is another failure of Christianity. So atheists, uh, those of you in the audience, and other people of sense and reason need to take the reins on this issue and and uh, do something about it. Uh, at least uh, call call this uh, BS as as it is. So, thank you. Shall we go on to callers? Uh, sure. Uh, I want to preface this call. Uh, okay. Because this is what this is a repeat. What? Okay. Uh, I'm going to Ian in New York. Never mind. <laughs> Hello. Hi. What's going on? Uh, not much. You're on the air, Liam. Yeah, so, uh, I guess my question, I know I told you about ALS. It's more about this, I don't know if you know about this ice bucket challenge that's going on on Facebook and Instagram lately. Uh, I just today saw that Weird Al did a video on it, but I don't know what it is. Basically, so, these people get a, uh, a bag of ice and a bucket full of water they put they go online, they make a video, they say, I got nominated by my friend to um, dump this bucket of ice over my head to support ALS. And then they call three of their friends out and say, if you don't do this in an hour, uh, you have to donate $100 to ALS awareness and stuff like that. Uh, and so that, it's a it's twist a, on the old chain mail scheme, <laughs> except, yeah, and, except and, for a good cause. I mean, let's I guess my that. My whole thing with it, it's like, I'm sure it's great for ALS awareness or at least the money in their pocket, but um, is it like, is it good for the like overall like science literacy of like our, our modern culture kind of thing? Like as like, are people, it's really trendy is what I'm getting at. Like it's in uh, the summertime. Well, you know, there are different charities that have different, you know, ways of raising money, you know, like the, the, the AIDS charities had the AIDS quilt, which was, which was a, you know, which was a thing, and we have the the, the pink ribbons for for breast cancer, and, and a lot of a lot of different things. And uh, yeah, we I mean we live in an age right now of social media, and yeah. and that can be good and bad. But uh, you know, clearly there's two things going on here. One one of which is donations to a charity, which for all I know is doing good work. I'm not familiar with them personally. Um, and the other is doing a stunt to wa- raise awareness for it. And I think there is not necessarily a direct uh, link between uh, the one thing and the other in terms of understanding what it's about. But uh, I'm not, in principle, against doing stunts like this uh, in order to just make people interested and curious. And as far as I'm concerned... Assuming this charity is doing good work, there's nothing wrong with uh, anything which gets them, which nets them more money. Personally, I'd be particularly annoyed if a chain letter came like came in like this at me, and I'd be less likely to donate to them from yeah. someone saying, "Hey, you have to do this." But uh, right. that's just me. Yeah, it just I, I just kind of blows my mind sometimes stuff I see on like the Facebook feed like that pops up like somebody does their ice buck challenge and then underneath that I saw this one where apparently like an orthodox Jewish uh, um, uh, uh, baptism or whatever like, sorry they, they gave him herpes pretty much from uh, when the baby was I'm, I forgot the name of it so um, you're, you're changing topics just just yeah, to be yeah, clear my, right my bad my bad so you're, you're, but, um, you're talking about a brist 
Yeah, yeah, and like I and and apparently a couple babies have gotten herpes from. Right, from we, we mentioned that on the show at one point, right? Yeah, it's a it's a bad thing because uh, herpes is is especially harmful to uh, to youngsters that uh, don't have a developed yeah, okay. immune system. And it's like it's I'm, like it, when that pops up underneath the ALS thing, I just, it just seems like almost impossible that anyone's going to make an ice bucket challenge for shit like that. You know, like when they, uh, they so I'm, I'm a little confused. People are capable of pursuing more than one cause at a time. I yeah. I do not hold with the idea that you shouldn't promote one thing on the grounds that it's not as bad as another thing. I think that's ridiculous. Okay, yeah, you're right. Yeah, All right, man. thanks for calling. Uh, okay, so yeah, I thought somebody was trying to tell me not to take Andrew in Bethlehem again. Uh, but I'm I'm gonna preface this call because I was mistaken about that. Okay. Uh, Andrew called last week and apparently has called a bunch of times before that I wasn't aware of, um, and I wound up hanging up on Andrew because uh, after talking for about ten or fifteen minutes and me repeatedly asking to get to get to a point, he told me he still needed five more minutes to get to a point. So I was it was suggested by, to me by a fan that if he calls back, which he has, uh, I point out that uh, even complex scientific ideas uh, that require whole papers, uh, you know, very lengthy, dense papers to explain, they generally have something called an abstract in which they sum up what their point is and their conclusions uh, and... Uh, and the basic outline of where they're going. And so I'm going to start with the same thing that I asked Andrew repeatedly last week, which is uh, how long is this going to take to demonstrate something, and can you give me a, an abstract, if you will, of where you're going? All right. Experienced listeners. Uh, you weren't on the air yet. Nobody's heard a thing you said. What's up? Hi, Russell. This is Gary in Houston. Oh, Oh and I think that I may have been brought into the program prematurely. Oh, yeah. You want to check on that make sure I've made it to the screener? Yeah. Let me put you on hold and get you back to the screener. I guess we dropped Andrew already. All right. Sorry. Okay. Maybe he hung up as soon as I started talking about yeah. him. Uh, Andrew in Illinois. Oh, hello? Yeah, that's you. Uh, how are you? Uh, I'm good. Um. So I assume you've read my uh, question, but to... to uh, well, nobody in the audience read your question, so ask it. <laughs> I was sum it up here. Um, my, my thing is I'm an atheist, I'm a college student, and I'd like to create some kind of group for secular, or at least skeptic viewpoint, to basically challenge people's beliefs, but not to go out and find them, but as you guys, let them call in, let them find you. Um, my okay. Prob my problem is... If you were going around, say you're like a depressed Christian or whatever, and you're looking for other religion, um, if you go to other places of faith or groups on campus, they're usually trying to offer some kind of belief, some kind of package you sign up for so that you feel better about yourself. And it occurred to me that atheism is kind of all stick and no carrot from a perspective. What are they, just looking at it from a guess, you know, that hasn't been challenged. You're coming in saying that, you know, it's a good idea all that you believe in, basically. Well, let me get this straight. You're hoping to create a group not for other atheists, but to be sort of the atheist equivalent of a Mormon missionary? <laughs> um, 
I, I mean, you know, to go around telling people the good news about Jesus not existing? No. <laughs> yeah. That's not what I want. We, okay. we, we, don't, what? we don't have a great marketing arm like, like Christianity and some of the other religions do. So, yeah, yeah I would yeah, agree with that. Yeah, that's true. Is that what, what um, I want to be, if I explain it really quickly, is, um, you know, if you believe in a religion, I assume it's pretty important because it's what's going to happen to you for eternity after you die. So okay. if you claim spirit and you're in an academic environment, away from your parents, <laughs> go off to college, come think for yourself. It's an opportunity, a place where you have the opportunity to go look at whatever from a skeptic standpoint. That's the best way I can think of packaging a secular group, other than also doing the good things that religion does in its organization, such as, you know, community acts, uh, you know, just general things that are good for the community. So, I mean, there's that you offer and say, but to, to, to draw someone in or to make sure they're not afraid to actually, you know, open themselves up a little bit in college and test their belief. You know, I'm trying to find a way to package the message so it's not so scary. So it's not, oh, I'm just going to go here and quit believing everything I believe and lose all meaning. Well, that's not- one way to do that, I think, is, is to, to come at it from a skeptic standpoint and, and not necessarily uh, go after the, the, uh, the, the, the sacred cow immediately uh, and, and say, hey, we're, you know, we're interested in you know, skepticism, applying reason to various problems, and, and there, there's actually you know, a lot of folks that are very big into that as far as um, like uh, medical claims uh, or, or uh, you know, political claims or these sorts of things where you know, uh, skepticism is, is, is a good thing to have in your pocket if you're going to evaluate what people are saying or advertisements, all sorts of things like that. And, and you don't necessarily have to go for the jugular uh, immediately with that, you can you can uh, instead focus on just general skepticism of various things, and 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 you know religion can be just one of those things that you that you apply skepticism to. That's um, I guess that I was just worried about. I mean, you guys have fielded so many theist calls that I would have I would have hoped that you would be able to identify. There's our yeah, but I mean, it takes a while to build an audience because if you want people to actually call in voluntarily, you have to make people aware. Well, you have to first make people aware of you, and second, you have to make people want to talk to you. Um, and I mean, uh, doing outreach through an atheist show, I guess, is one way of of getting random people in uh, who might be interested in you. Yeah, don't don't I'm fall not, in love with that that sort of medium or that sort of way of doing things. Yeah, because so I'm find not what works really sure that uh, I mean, in the first place, you're setting up sort of an adversarial situation where you're going to change people's minds, uh, and in the second place, you're hoping to be able to sit around and let them come to you. And I, it's difficult to be sure how to frame the incentive that they would have for that. Um, <laughs> And also, um, like even on the atheist experience, we don't ne- we don't come right out and say that that our goal is to deconvert the Christians and uh, uh, and have them change you know and and logically browbeat them into changing their minds. I mean, we're on the air for two reasons. One is outreach to atheists, and the other is uh, talking to Christians. Uh, 
in in sort of an open, direct, and respectful way where we ask them like what what do you believe and why and we try to and we give them an opportunity to explain themselves and so this show isn't necessarily just supposed to be uh a filibuster where the christian says one thing and then you tell him how ri- how ridiculous his point of view is uh but it well for displaying conversation though like uh you know these thoughts right. we have uh it's very useful but the thing I saw about this show is that, you know, afterwards you go out to eat and invite people to come eat with you. Uh, I've been to a lot of youth groups. These people don't necessarily believe in their religion for any yeah. kind of reason. So it's, you know, the kind of community sense. Is yeah, also- but I'm, I'm mentioning yeah. this by way of saying that uh, when we go out to eat after the show, we're not, uh, we're doing it because we want to create a sense of community with other atheists. And I think that uh, that is maybe the best function that you can serve uh, with an atheist group uh, because, like, your campus juggling club <laughs> doesn't go around uh, uh, buttonholing people on the quad and saying, like, you know, hey, why aren't you a juggler yet? <laughs> right. right. You know, they, right. they try to appeal to other people who are interested in juggling and create an atmosphere uh, where they... Uh, you know, where they can hang out with like-minded people and have a good time. Yeah, the, and if the that social, is, the social yeah. aspect of it is super important, and that's that's a big thing of what a big part of what the atheist uh, community of Austin does. Another angle you can go on is uh, church-state separation, which which is actually something that everybody should should think is an awesome thing because the state religion won't be your religion. And that's that's a, that's an angle that the ACA has followed, and you know it's brought us a lot of folks too that are very interested in that that topic. And and there's a lot you can do there as far as education and you know the secular secular ideas in general um, are, are a good thing. So you know don't don't get too wedded to any particular format. Um, you know provide a provide a a group that's a social thing and and see where it goes. All right. <laughs> and I mean, Ulti- ultimately, groups are going to be organic. They're going to do what what the people within them want to do. And your best bet is to, to is to catalyze that and, and help that happen. Yeah. And if word gets out that the that the meetings uh, at this group are fun and you have good activities, and maybe uh, you could get funding for some uh, prominent atheist speakers to show speakers up, speakers or debates big, or big yeah, event, then uh, movie nights, all sorts of things. Yeah, then yeah. this group will just organically grow. It, you don't have to uh, go out of your way to find members who uh, whose minds you've changed. It's it, you know that lot makes sense, but as an atheist, being so isolated, you know, it does. It, it's hard to imagine people flocking. You know what I mean? Well, I'm not going to go so far as to say they'll flock. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and quite outside this group, one thing you can do as an individual uh, is just have these conversations with people you know who are Christians and do so in, in a respectful way that so that both of you enjoy talking to each other. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for the advice. Uh, I'll probably fall back again more right. on it. Well, let us know of your progress. Good luck. Thank you, you, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you for taking my call. All right. Bye. Dave in Dallas. Oh, hi. Uh, Don and Russell. Hi. Hi. Glad to be on. I I wanted to delve into uh, what your thoughts were on the the nature of logic, because you and uh, the host and the co-host on this show have a high degree of logic, and I respect it very much. But... 
Um, it's kind of more directed for Matt and Tracy because they were brought up in a religious environment, and, and then they snapped. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, they got real logical. But, and, uh, but, but you know them very well. And uh, I just wondered how they didn't see it earlier. They didn't see that uh, some examples when they were studying the Bible that, uh, that uh, like Jonah couldn't live, possibly live in a whale, get swallowed by a whale, live there for three well, days. Well, you know, if you, if you believe that, uh, that God, uh, God is all-powerful, then, then pretty much uh, he can bend whatever laws of reality <coughs> that he wants, and it's all consistent, right? Right, but, uh, but if you're a very logical person like you two, I think, didn't, did not have a strong religious background. That, or, that, that's correct. Or no, any no, at all. I didn't. So, so you, but you were exposed to some religious thought or ideas. Um, you know, I mean, you, you know, knew about religion. You know, uh, it, being you... smart and thinking logically is no guarantee that you won't fall for stuff. Absolutely, um, yeah. There, there are uh, a lot of very smart... I mean, the majority of people in the world are religious, and they're not all fools, or even mostly fools. Um, right. I, re- um, I, I feel like I want to mention an old book by Michael Shermer called Why... Uh, smart people believe weird things. Is that okay. what it's called? Yeah, something um, like that. Yeah. Uh, I haven't read this book, but I've just heard good things about it. Um, but uh, throughout my life, I've experienced uh, si- lots of situations where people who are generally smart and intelligent and logical thinking um, can also uh, be very strongly religious and to some extent sort of compartmentalize their religious beliefs away from their scientific beliefs and say, like, it's a different way of knowing things. Uh, and there there have been uh, different kinds of things that I considered uh, some kind of a scam. Like, for instance, uh, when I was uh, almost through college, I got pitched for a group called Amway, which uh, I concluded is kind of a scam and even a little bit culty. Uh, and yet there was this long list of uh, celebrities and financial managers and, and doctors that they would trot out as, look, these guys believe in it, so you should too. Uh, Scientology is like Scientology, that that's yeah. a good example too. Mm-hmm. Well, I know, I know. And I, I know, and I, uh, I just two weeks ago I read the uh, profile on Matt, and, and he gave this, the same answer, and I, I, I was glad to see that because it explains any, everything. He said he was sorry that he compartmentalized religion to keep it safe from skeptics or skepticism. Right. And, and that answers everything. You know, that's what we do. That's what people do. And... Uh, uh, and you sort of let let logic go. I mean, everybody has some degree of logic. If you drive a car, you go to the store, the grocery list. Oh, you sure. Go, you're, you're using logic, but and but, some but, but let me flip it, let me flip it around, Dave. A lot of people uh, can delude themselves about various things and and be mistaken or or go along with the gimmick without thinking about it. And and that's part of human nature. You just have to be on guard for it. Right, um, especially especially if you're raised in in a religious. Uh, family background, and then you continue maybe in college with, I, I spoke to a man that was uh, probably 20 years out of college, he's a lawyer, very smart guy, and he was, I asked him why he was religious in the past, he, he's not now because he's just expounding all the fallacies of the Bible now, 
But he said he was in a religious family, very strong religious family. He went to college where they had theology courses, and he took those courses. But his senior year, it occurred to him that it was all wrong, that the religion was uh, deceiving him. And I asked him why. Uh, you know, how could he? Because he must have been very logical to argue law, law cases as a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, a thousand years ago, people thought the earth was flat. And you looked around, and and everybody uh, probably agreed because they had nothing else to compare it to. And, and, you, and uh, it's just like... What, what it seems to be. So you're raised in a religious family, and you go take theology courses. But somewhere there, uh, see that. So that's the excuse. But then I thought, well, everybody goes to school, private or public, uh, except a few gypsies maybe. But uh, you have math classes in high school, trigonometry, geometry, algebra, and then you take science. So you know you you have to be forced. You're forced to think logically and improve your logical thought. Right. But well, often, then, often you you don't you know hold up your beliefs. You know, uh, education in in most most communities is a, is a secular thing in the sense that they're not holding up religious beliefs to no. you know scientific claims or whatever. And so you can you can compartmentalize. Yes, that's a separate. It would be a separate. And thing. I want to make another point here, and that is that that that. People who come to atheism, they don't tend to come like, a, like a, there's not generally an epiphany moment where all of a sudden the, the, the house of cards falls. It, right. it generally tends to be a long process of thinking about it and saying, oh, yeah. oh this doesn't make sense. I'm, let me read more and let me read more. And, and it's a process. And, that's and, what uh, and I've seen did, it take yeah. as long as 10 years with, with, with various people. And, and, and that's much more common than... You know, I've never heard of really anybody saying, "Snap, I was an atheist." It was—it's yeah. really more of a, a more of a process and thinking through it sort of thing, and and it takes a while to do that. That seems to be the case. I, I have um, one one example that I just heard a couple of months ago about a sociologist or psychologist that was studying children between the age of four and eight or ten, and uh, and uh, she said, "You know, children." I think Tracy mentioned something about this months ago, uh, that were purpose-driven. Like, what, what are your ears for? What is your nose for? They want to know why, and they want to know a purpose. And then show them, like, a picture of, uh, of some uh, pointed rocks. Uh, are these rocks there with two, two choices? Are these rocks there because minerals deposited over a long, long time? Or are they, are they, are they there for animals to scratch their backs on? And, of okay. course, you know, that's the purpose. Or a, uh, a, yeah. So anyway, you know, purpose driven. So <laughs> um, when you get to high school, and Dave. You, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, I think we're going to move on to another caller now. Oh okay. Well, thank you. Thanks, Thanks for calling. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. Uh, Gary in Houston. Uh, I accidentally. Oh come on now. No, our button's not working. What? Gary. Oh, oh no, Gary. He's the guy who replaced Andrew. So oh th- no. This Call line back, is please. Cursed. Um, is it Jesus in Cordoba, Spain? Wait, none of these buttons. Hello? Oh, crap. I'm, like, hanging up on anybody whose button I push. Oh, no. Uh, somebody put line two on, please. If you can't. Okay, uh, Andrew in Nashville. Hey, guys. Hi. 
All right, I'll make this as quick as I can. Um, so I'm an atheist, for uh-huh. the record, a uh, big black sheep in the Bible Belt. Um, and what I want to talk about is one of the issues that was brought up in the very beginning, which is uh, failing the environment. Now, you know, many religions prohibit the consumption of meat. You know, Islam and Judaism prohibit pork, Hinduism prohibits the consumption of beef. But one of the things that turned me off to religion the most was bacon. I love bacon so much. It's, it's great. <laughs> and, Wait, that's thing. what atheists should promote. Uh, which religion, were, <laughs> that's, we which have religion were you considering? Because bacon beer. <laughs> that could be but our marketing. The thing that I want to discuss. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of people are turned off to the consumption of meat for dietary reasons and for religious reasons, but also for secular ethical reasons. You know, when you go into the supermarket and you buy meat, you don't really feel a whole lot of guilt because you're not directly responsible for slaughtering the animals which you're wanting to consume. However, you know, as a meat consumer, you are in a way indirectly responsible for, say, the exacerbation of growth hormones, proliferation of steroids, confining animals to very small spaces in factory farming. Okay. And I, by the way, course, I'm not a vegetarian or a vegan, but I recognize some of those ethical issues you've been you're bringing up as uh, legitimate points of discussion. Okay, and that's exactly what I wanted to ask you too: is whether or not you two uh, were a vegetarian or vegan, and thusly you answered that question. Uh, my sister is not. vegan. Uh, okay, and I don't give her crap about it because I think it's it's a fine choice for her to make. Okay. Well, another question I wanted to ask was how... Don, you're not a vegan, right? I'm not a vegan. No, I I consume meat. Or a vegetarian. Okay. Your other question, Andrew? How do you reconcile the consumption of meat with your personal morality and, like, being, you know, contributing to ameliorating the environment? Uh, Are you familiar with the concept of the tragedy of the commons? Uh, It rings a bell. Uh, I don't um, have Wikipedia in front of me, so I don't know. This, this is something that's brought up in game theory from time to time. Apparently, I think, and I'm going to get this story totally wrong, but this is based on an actual uh, Scottish town at some point in history where they would all have cattle, but they would have like these communal grazing areas. Um, and any individual cattle owner would have, or maybe it was sheep, but anyway, they would have the op- option at any given time to go out of town and buy more livestock, which would be personally profitable to them because, uh, you know, that's part of their livelihood. Um, but any time that, a, that a, a one animal was added to this communal uh, grazing grounds, um, you know, the, uh, the grass would get thinner and it would be harder for all the animals to get more. And yet... Uh, the individualistic calculation about whether you should buy a new cow or sheep uh, would always be in favor of doing that because the small amount that you detract fr- from the communal grazing grounds and the ability for everybody to sustain their animals is outweighed by your personal benefit of having more animals. Um, that comes up a lot in economics uh, because... On the one hand, it's true that any individual action that you take uh, uh, that might help the environment is ultimately going to have a small impact on a one-by-one basis. Um, 
But at the same time, it's also true that if everybody acts in this selfish way, then things will be、uh, worse for everybody.、Um, this is a really hard economics problem to solve, and obviously, the fact that I'm not a vegetarian means that、uh, I feel like, in my personal calculation, the pleasure I get from eating meat. Isn't、uh, outweighed by my desire to help me、uh, to believe the. I mean, I mean to、uh, give give more weight to the very serious ethical issues、uh, on a large scale that vegetarianism poses. I I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to how else to answer that. Um. Well, that's satisfactory, I guess. I mean, you know, I'll look more into the tragedy of commons. Yeah, I, I love meat myself.、Yeah. I eat it damn near every night. But at the same time, know, I do feel so. A so that's a、guilt. that's a general economic principle, and not not necessarily directly、uh, talking about you know、uh, vegetarianism. But but、uh, but Russell's made a good point of、uh, yeah. the, you know the, the individual's decisions we make may may not be the best for everybody, right? Right. I see. And, But you know, that's certainly、uh, one of the challenges. I, I know a lot of vegetarians who、uh, live very happy lives and really enjoy the diet that they have. And I'm not trying to talk anyone out of vegetarianism.、Uh, I think that if they feel seriously enough about those ethical issues,、uh, they should go ahead and look into it. Okay. All right, guys. Well, thank、um, you. I'll let you get to the the other callers. But thank you so much for answering the question.、Um, Thanks. You know, I've got a lot. A lot more stuff I'd like to bring up at some point in the future. Okay, well, can you call back again in a week to do an ESL adventure?、Um, I'll let you go. May、right. his noodley appendages bless you, Ramen. Goodbye. Okay. <laughs> May his noodliness, etc. Right. But、well, I think、um, we can hang up on people, but but picking them up、uh, is a danger. Yeah.、Right? So I'm.、Uh, we've got actually two theist callers on the line right now, and I don't want to risk accidentally knocking them out. So put line three on, please. Thanks,、uh, Kay in Woodbridge, Virginia. That's me. Yeah, that's you. Okay, so I um go on with a brag real quick. So my dad just celebrated 25 years of sobriety yesterday, okay, and I'm really proud of him.、Um, but one of that,、um, and I'm questioning a lot of things right now with my beliefs in God. I just got out of college, but one thing that I'm really hung up on is. I've seen a lot of people benefit from a lot of、um, a lot of things that like religion and God has to offer them.、Um, I don't know if you know any of the tenets of Alcoholics Anonymous, but、um, one of them yeah, is that、familiar. you do have to have a belief in a higher power.、Hmm? Yeah, we're familiar with them. Okay, you know、uh, there has to be、um, some kind of a belief in a higher power, and I've just seen the program really work for a lot of people.、Um, you know, throughout my life, I've kind of been raised in that environment and a belief in a God, if not the Christian God, and eventually the Christian God.、Um, but like I said, right now I'm questioning, but I'm seeing I do see a lot of benefits to、um, religion and the church that I'm a part of. Okay. What do you think exactly about that? Because I've seen a lot of、uh, atheists say that there's a lot of negative things that religion has to offer.、Um, there, well, there's a fallacy known as the appeal to consequences,、uh, which means that you decide something is true because you like what happens as a result of it being true, but you don't. But it's a fallacy because. Uh, it it doesn't actually、uh, demonstrate 
whether the thing that you're believing is true or not, because uh, liking the idea of it being true doesn't in itself prove that something is correct. So I guess the question on my mind is, uh, if you knew, if you, if there was a way to know for certain that there is no God, are you saying that you'd want to believe in a God anyway because you feel like, let's say, Alcoholics Anonymous does a good, does good things? No, but I know that okay. um, there are certain verses in the Bible. Um, for instance, uh, there's a scripture in John 8 where it talks about Jesus uh, references. He's talking to people, to Jews, who just say that, said that they believed in him, and he says, if you hold to my teachings, then you will be my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and then the truth will set you free. A lot of people, you know, say, oh, well, the truth has set you free, the truth has set you free, but it's kind of like a litmus test where, you know, Jesus says, you know, if you obey my commands, then you'll know oh, so, what... So maybe you're saying... So maybe you're saying that it would be a good idea to agree with Jesus philosophically, but still not think that he was the Son of God or that there is a God. I'm sorry? Uh, I'm, I'm just trying to get where you're coming from here. Don, you got something to say? Russell's, Russell's just paraphrasing what, what you're saying. Yeah. He, he's, he's saying, are you saying that, that, that uh, you're advocating, you know, following Jesus' teachings and not worrying so much about whether, whether he was supposedly the, the son of God? Is that what you're advocating? Hmm. Um, I think the point of that particular passage and what Jesus was saying, especially in John, he prefers himself... Um, I believe he prefers himself um, as the son of God and the son of man several times in Okay, John. but I mean, the fact that it's mentioned in the Bible doesn't mean it's true. I mean, yeah. any other book, they could say something, uh, you know, there was a caterpillar smoking a hookah on a mushroom, uh, and you, <laughs> the, it wouldn't follow that that caterpillar was real. Okay. Yeah, and, and, as a rule, we're not, we're not terribly impressed with the Bible, but, but uh, you know, some people are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what Jesus was saying is that you obey what he says and you you follow in his steps, you will see, you know, the outcome of that will be a positive outcome and you will be able to, you know, see um, see that what he's saying is true. Yeah, well, he and, says and that. He says that in the Bible, but bear in mind that from our point of view, uh, there's no particular reason to think that the Bible is reliable. And so from our point of view, the fact that he's saying, if you believe in me, good things will happen to you is just a demonstration that like the book contains its own propaganda about why you should believe the book right <laughs> okay i can i can see how that can i can see how you you see that yeah right and, and i it could be a self self fulfilling prophecy there are like there are times in my life where i've seen myself look at things and i've gone back to see that maybe a prayer wasn't necessarily what I thought. Like, it wasn't answered exactly. I couldn't have said that was an answer to my prayers, and at the time it was. Like I said, I am questioning well, um, a lot of Well, you know, when the, when the Bible makes a testable claim, we can test it, right? So when Jesus says, oh, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be back within a generation or within the lifetime of my, my disciples or my apostles, uh, that yeah. was a testable claim that was false. When Jesus says, oh, um, uh, when you pray to God, any, anything you pray for, you will get. That's a testable claim, and that's false. 
So, so, so these sorts of things. Uh, we can look at uh, Christian behavior, like uh, he says, don't save for tomorrow because God will take care of you. Well, there's lots of Christians with bank accounts and lots of Christians with savings <laughs> accounts. So mm-hmm. mm, uh, when Paul says, hey, uh, uh, Jesus is going to come back real soon, stop having babies, um, we don't see that going on. So there's, there's a lot of... <laughs> No, I thought you said Paul said it. Paul said that. Oh, okay, Paul. Uh, Paul said that. Right. Did say that, yeah. So, uh, you know, like when, when it makes testable claims and and they tend to be false, then then we tend to be very skeptical of of you know what's in there. Now, you, there there are phrases in the Bible like uh, you can't serve two masters. You can't. Uh, that's a, that's a definitely true. You know, there's a, the conflict of interest is a problem. Mm-hmm. So, so, so there are you know pearls of wisdom in there, but uh, but the overall I, I don't know, um, and and these uh, these sort of miraculous claims uh, they they tend to be um, uh, unconfirmed uh, at best and okay. false false at worst. So th- those are the things that that I think that make us skeptical about the Bible. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to get back to your original point. Uh, I, I don't want to end this call without saying that I do think there are also, like, it, while you were talking about some of the positive benefits, like your father getting over uh, his alcoholism, which I think is a great thing, I do think that the social effects of religion aren't 100% good. In a, in a lot of cases, there are harmful side effects of of religion which uh which relate to tribalism and uh one of the things Don was saying right at the beginning of the show uh being that uh in some cases religion seems to be encouraging people not to take seriously the bigger problems of the world um mm. but i also think that the the more important reason to be skeptical of religion is not because you weigh whether it does more good than bad but to actually think about what uh, is it likely to actually be true, and what's a good reason for thinking that one way or the other? Hmm. I mean, yeah, I, I do need to. Um, <laughs> I do need to think about some things. Okay. I, I am. I am thinking through. I, I read a book by Michael Shermer. I think he even mentioned it today on the show. I wasn't really paying too much attention. I was on my phone, but um, something Michael Shermer and you know why people believe weird yeah, things. Yeah, that's the and, one. Yeah, I've been trying to really um, think through things and figure out whether or not, you know, what my beliefs are are true or not. And a big part of that actually was um, I worked for a while with an environmental organization and seeing the responses from my fundamentalist parents to, you know, some of the things that I was saying in the research that I was doing and just seeing kind of the blinders go down. And I just don't want to be one of those people, so I really... uh, Thank you for your time, and I'm glad I got to get on the show. Well, oh, keep yeah. searching, keep asking questions. That's a good thing. I'm yeah. really glad you called, Kay. Uh, I hope we hear back from you. Okay, thanks. Thank you. Have a good one. Bye. Uh, Who do you want to take next, Mr. Give Russell? Give me line two. Line two, magic. Uh, this is not the other theist caller. Uh, Gary in Houston is probably going to be the last caller of the day because we uh, so rudely hung up on him before. Gary, can Hello. you hear me? Yes. Hey, Russell and Don. So, sorry, we had some phone trouble earlier. Yeah, um, but I'm glad we finally connected. Um, my name's Gary Brown. I'm an atheist. Mm-hmm. I'm also an IRS employee, and I wanted to ask you if you're familiar with an organization called Christian Fundamentalist Internal Revenue Employees. 
That sounds nope. creepy. <laughs> uh, it does panique too. Um, it is a. So you have some church state separation concerns? Me? You have some church state separation concerns about this group? Well, I certainly do. Um, uh-huh. And so I wanted to tell you a little bit about them. Okay, and please. See what your thoughts are. All right. Uh, bear in mind that we have about three minutes left. So. Uh, uh, if you need more time after the show, we can talk to you after there then too. But if you can hurry it up a little. Okay, it might. Uh, this is probably a lengthy conversation, but I guess the nutshell version is this is a 501c3 and a separate legal organization, hmm. which is partially funded by the IRS with respect to some of its activities. Uh, there are other in IRS employee organizations like there's one for Muslims, there's one for uh, military veterans, there's one for Hispanics, there's one for Asians. So it, it has a, a value and a benefit to the employees, but of course, if you're concerned about separation of church and state like I am, uh, Steve Fire is a little well. I, th- I think I think the main question here is is are they are they favoring some religions over others or some religions over irreligion, and if so, then there's a problem. But if they're if they're you know making you know, these clubs or groups and, and funding and doing them treating them all the same, yeah. If they're then, like then providing a general pool of funds for people to start their subgroups, maybe that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, they're. Um, they're treating all these organizations the same in the way in which they partially fund them. So if I knew of other IRS employees interested in starting an organization for atheists, um, I'd be happy to start networking to do so. Oh, yeah, I think you should go for it. Uh, I, I mean, sometimes these organizations are illegal and ought to be shut down, but sometimes they're taking advantage of completely legit uh, means means of getting groups started, in which case we should take advantage of those too, absolutely. Yeah. And I believe that CFIRE is a legitimate organization, and the IRS certainly has the uh, legal wherewithal to be partially funding their, yeah, their These same so. sorts of questions come up with, uh, like, school groups and public schools. Uh, uh-huh. You know, you, you can have religious school groups, but you also have to, you know, if, if there's a student that wants that, you know, be able to create a secular student group or an atheist student group. And, and when they prohibit that, that's when, that's when they cross the line. Uh, and sometimes they do. Sometimes there are, there are school districts that, that, that put roadblocks up for those sorts of clubs. Um, so, anyway, I think we're running out of time, Mr. Russell. All right. <laughs> so I hope uh, we addressed your question. Yeah, thanks very much. Perhaps uh, I'll run into people that are like-minded and uh, yeah, we can go for it to accomplish. All right. Something. Good luck yeah. to you. Thank Bye. you. Uh, thanks for calling. Thanks, Don, for doing a show with me. Had uh, a good I time. I had fun, yeah. Uh, we got a couple more people on the line that we might pick up in the after show, uh, and uh, we're going to head over to El Arroyo shortly, and uh, see you next week.